I'll ask you to remain or to stand, please. Just a taste of heaven. Just, just a little bit. Just a taste. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the book of Acts. Be reading two sections, one from the first chapter and then one from the 15th chapter. Acts 1 and then Acts 15. <clears throat> Acts 1, beginning with verse 4, please. On one occasion, while he, meaning Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then chapter 15, please. Just two verses, verses 8 and 9. God who knows the heart shows that he accepted them, meaning the Gentiles, by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified, he purified their hearts by faith. The grass withers, flowers bloom. The word of our God stands forever. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Be seated, please. I think it was... Saturday night, I preached a sermon on salvation or the assurance of salvation. Tonight, the message is specifically designed for those who are believers, those who say, I've been born again. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. If you don't fit into the cat that category, don't leave. God will deal with you too. But specifically to Christians. But specifically to Christians who so often in your Christian life, you're up and you're down. You're up and you're down. You're Camp Syker and you're home. <laughs> you're Camp Syker again. You take three steps forward and two steps back. Two steps forward and three steps back. Does anybody identify with that? Except me. I struggle. I remember after I became a Christian or thought I was a Christian, my life was like a yo-yo. I was going up and down and up and down. I could praise God with the best of them. I've, um, I've not allowed you to see me praising God like I really like to praise God. It's kind of embarrassing. I spent some time in Africa and I learned to dance while I was worshiping. Now, it's not a pretty sight, folks. But I can dance and worship. I, I can really worship. And then it seemed like the next day or the next week, I'd be so far down that I couldn't even see the sky. I was frustrated in my Christian life. I remember back to a time when I was in my second year of seminary, just getting ready to be released on some poor, unsuspecting congregation, and I had nothing to offer. I was dry, I was discouraged, I was frustrated because I was always going up and down and up and down. I even questioned my own salvation. I said, are you saved or not, Tom? I went back and I studied scripture, I went back and I prayed and I came to the conclusion, yes, I was saved. I remember asking Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I remember asking him to come into my heart by faith. I believe he had and I knew he had, but I kept asking the question, why? Why? Why am I so frustrated? Why am I going up and down and up and down? I went back and I looked at the scriptures and I, I went back and studied the, the disciples. Remember James and John? They were called sons of thunder. It's not because they were great Methodist evangelists, because they had terrible tempers. Remember Peter? Lord, I'll never deny you. 
Lord, call me out on the water, I'll come to you, blah, blah, blah. I said, yeah. I identify with those guys. Were they believers? Of course they were. They ate and slept and walked with Jesus wherever he went. Yes, they were. But there was something missing in their life. Jesus said, stay here, guys. Do not leave because there is something extra for you. There's something more to the Christian life. You know, I, um, I figured it up this afternoon. I, I, I went four years to a Christian holiness college. Three required chapels a week. Hundreds, I figured it out. Hundreds of chapels I went to. And either I was too dumb to understand, that's possible, or I slept through every chapel, that's another possibility. But I just missed it. I know I heard holiness preached. I know I heard what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I had to have heard it once a week or at least once every two weeks from the best preachers in the world. But somehow I missed it. I said, God, if, if you just if you let me experience what I know is preached and, and what I see in other people that I don't have, if you just, I promise you, if I ever experience this, I'll make it so simple Anybody, even somebody like me, can understand. You know by now I preach on a third grade level, so forgive me. But that's my level. So I said, God, please, please, please. The question that I had for God was, as frustrated as I was in my Christian life, are you going to leave me that way? Does God leave us that way? And I, I, I came to the conclusion there's no way he wants me to be that way. There's just no way. And, and so the question came, is it possible to live a continual victorious Christian life? Let me back up. Is it possible to always, to always have victory in the Christian life? Don't answer that out loud. You'll embarrass yourself. Because the answer is Yes. It is possible to always have victory. I didn't say you wouldn't have problems. I didn't say you wouldn't make mistakes. But it's possible, even though through the hard times, to be victorious. And there's only one way. Scripture says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what it says. And what I want to do, you know, I, I, folks, I, I don't care what you call this. Some people get really mixed up in, in terminology. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, sanctification, a deeper work of grace, a second work of grace. John Wesley called it Christian perfection or perfect love. I don't care what you call it. I just want it to happen. And I want it to happen to every believer. You see, we Wesleyans believe in free will, don't we? Praise God for free will. I can preach a mean sermon on salvation, and you can say, thanks, but no thanks, I'm out of here. That's the free will you have. But listen to me. Scripture's real plain at this point. Once you say yes to Jesus, you have no choice whether you be filled with the Holy Spirit or not. I, uh, I consulted with my resident Greek theologian today, and John helped me out on this. Um, Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And John lets me know that that's the present passive imperative. I said, that's great, John. What does that mean? I took four years of Greek. I don't understand that stuff. And, and the imperative, John, you correct me if I'm wrong now. The imperative is a command be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the, the, the present tense means it's ongoing. Somebody asked me not long ago, is it a crisis experience or an ongoing experience? And I said, yes. Yes. It is a second work of grace. Your first work of grace is when Jesus saves you from your sins. But then there's another work. There's more. And so many people today don't realize there's more. Folks, there is more. 
You know, I get so tired of hearing preachers say, oh, oh, I got saved and I'm just going to suffer my way all the way to heaven. No. Why? And literally, in the Greek, this is the way it ought to say. Be you continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And so there is a, there is a time, and, and when I was in seminary, I hadn't found that time yet, where God says, it's about time, Atkins. It's about time. Now, what I want to do is to, um, I want to share with you some scripture, some Pauline letters, and um, I'm going to zip through them very fast. I've got an hour and a half to preach, and I'm going to make it down to 45 minutes. Is that okay? You've never heard a Southerner talk as fast as I'm going to talk, all right? So hang in there with me. Um, I want to go to uh, First Thessalonians. I want to cover three, minute, three chapters in three minutes. You okay? Put your seatbelt on. Are you awake? I see somebody's eyes closed. You better open them quick. Okay, you did. I can see real well from up here. If you, if you nod off on this one, folks, this sermon, you'll miss it. First Thessalonians. Most theologians would say it's Paul's first letter that he sent by young Timothy to encourage the church. So this is a letter to believers, okay? Now, Paul was a missionary. He was a church planner, an evangelist. He went out and preached, started a church, and started another church, and started another church. And we all know that Paul had some great churches. In the Bible study, John's teaching us this morning, uh, it, it, you know, we, we realized they had some major problems in that church. So had good, there were good churches and bad churches. I, I, as, I, as I zip through these three chapters, I mean really zip. I'm going to jump around. You tell me if it's a good church or bad church. I only got to read one verse for you can tell me that. Chapter 1, verse 2. We thank God, let's see, excuse me. Thank God for all of you. You go to the end of that verse. Your work is produced by faith. Your labor is prompted by love. Your endurance is inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Good church or bad church? Wonderful church. Paul says about this church, you've got great work, great faith, great labor, labor but great love, great endurance inspired by hope. The next verse down, the end of verse 4 says, God has chosen you. Uh, verse 6 says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Woo Woo what if Paul were to come to your church on Sunday morning and he'd start talking to some of the people? And, and, and Paul would go up to your pastor and say, Pastor, I need to talk to you. I've been talking to some of your folks. And your folks imitate Jesus. You know what your pastor would do after he, got, he or she got off the floor? He'd say, I need to call the district superintendent and get people over to our church right away because Paul's just been here and we imitate Jesus. That's what he's saying about this church. Wow. Uh, verse 7 says, you're a model church to all the believers. And then you get over to chapter 2 and verse 13, he says, we thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as actually is the word of God. Wow, this is a great church, folks. Then you get to chapter 3. Chapter 3 starts, and King James starts with the word therefore. And, of course, when you find a therefore, you need to find out why it's therefore, right? So we're going to find out why it's therefore. You go down to verse 11, therefore, mine says now, now may God, God and our Father himself and the Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come see you. My inquisitive mind asked the question, why does Paul want to go see this church? We've already established it's a great church. In the North Georgia Conference, we have roughly, for my math, 900 churches. And I've divided them up this way. I, I talked to our bishop, a bishop before this one. I asked the bishop, I said, Bishop, see if I'm right here. About a third of our churches are doing really well. Folks, we got some gangbuster churches in North Georgia. I mean, we're leading the denomination in the United States in church growth. I, I mean, things are happening. We got the largest church east of the Mississippi. Things are happening. We got smaller churches that are even doing great. I mean, a third of our churches are, wow, they're, they're just going town. And then about a third of our churches are, you know what I mean? They're kind of treading water. They're doing okay. Not doing great, but they're doing okay. And then about a third of our church, churches, God bless them. They're fighting like cats and dogs. The people don't like the preacher. The preacher doesn't like the people. They're arguing about the music. They're arguing about the carpet. They're arguing about everything there is to argue about. A third of our churches, and again, 
where you lead the denomination, the United States, but a third of our churches didn't take in one member on profession of faith last year. Not one. Which third do you think our bishop has to spend most of her time with? That bottom third. And so the question I come back and ask Paul is, if this is such a great church, you know, our bishop lets the good churches alone when they're really going. But she's got problems with the bottom third. Paul's got this church that's just great. He doesn't jump in his four-wheel drive and run over to Thessalonica. It's a hot, dusty walk. Why does he want to spend the time, his busy time, going all the way to Thessalonica? The answer is in one verse before verse 11, which means it's 10. Here's what he says. Night and day we pray most earnestly that you will... That you, we can see you again, and here it is, and supply what is lacking in your faith. Whoa, Paul, hold on a minute. You've been bragging on this church for half this letter, and now you're saying you want to go see them. The reason you need to go see them is because they're lacking something. What could they be lacking? Well, if you read through there, you'll read it in all different kind of words, but basically he's saying you folks are not stabilized in your faith. There's something missing. Yeah, you're believers. Yeah, you're going to heaven, but there's something missing. Chapter 4, verse 3, it says this. This is the will of God, that you should be sanctified. You've heard of sanctification? That's what we're talking about. You've heard of holiness? Same thing. These people are called to be holy. They're believers, but they're not holiness. They're believers, but they're not sanctified. They're believers, they're not pure in heart. Whatever you want to call it. There's something missing. He goes on and talks about it all the way through chapter 4, all through chapter 5. He ends chapter 5 this way. My God, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ comes. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen? Romans. Romans, the eighth chapter, is the hardest chapter in all of Scripture for me to read out loud. And so I don't. But I will give you the Tom Atkins, Georgia paraphrase of Rome, the end of Romans 8. Romans 7, excuse me. Can you handle that? Do I need an interpreter? You get it? Stay with me. Here's how I think. I mean, this is a really loose paraphrase. Here's what Paul's saying. I know what I ought to be doing. I know what God wants me to do. I'm trying my best. I'm so frustrated. I don't know what's wrong. What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't do, I do. And he calls himself a wretched man. This wonderful, wonderful missionary. Now, there's a key word in Romans 7, verses 14 through 25. Listen again to the paraphrase. You'll pick it out right away. Paul says, I know what I ought to be doing. I know what God wants me to do. I'm trying my best. I'm so frustrated. I don't know what's wrong. What's the key word? That little word, I. It's there 28 times. Are you with me? Paul's saying, I, 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 me. I'm going to do my devotions. I'm going to pray. I'm going to try to witness. I'm going to. And he's just, he's just bombing out. He's, he's blowing it. But praise God, he gets to Romans 8. Now, I know in the early manuscripts there were no chapter divisions or anything like that, but something had happened in Paul's life between 7 and 8 because you got 28 eyes leading up to Romans 8, and in the first, 14 verses, first 17 verses of Romans 8, that little word I is gone. It's eradicated. It's not there one time. But there is a key word or word, and it's spirit or Holy Spirit. 16 times in 17 verses. So are you with me here? You understand what I'm saying? Paul's problem. I, 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 me, me. I'm trying to live the Christian life. I want to live the Christian life. I really do. I'm just not doing it. I don't know what's wrong. I, I. And then you get to the most beautiful passage of walking in the Spirit and singing in the Spirit and praying in the Spirit and loving in the Spirit. Through the Spirit, his life is changed totally, completely. Let me, let me give you a few illustrations from history. Uh, that's enough from Scripture. I could just go on and on and on with Scripture. But let, let me give you a few illustrations from history. Uh, and let me say this before I read the testimonies. The chief characteristic, the chief characteristic of being filled with the Holy Spirit is supernatural love. 
supernatural love. You listen for that. Some of you know the name of Charles Finney, one of the great evangelists of all times. He struggled. He was a young lawyer and got saved. Somebody say amen. He got saved. I mean, gloriously saved. And it wasn't but shortly after that that Finney realized there was something missing in his life. He was going to heaven. He knew that. He was saved. He was born again. But there was something missing. And he says, and you'll hear this, nobody told him he was missing anything. He never heard a sermon like I'm preaching tonight. But he knew it. Listen to his words. This is dated October the 10th, 1821. I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit without any expectation of it, without ever having the thought in my mind there was any such thing for me, without any memory of ever hearing the thing mentioned by any person in the world, the Holy Spirit descended in, in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through me and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves of liquid love. Huh. For I could not express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can remember distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was spread abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. These waves came over me and over me and over me and over me, one after the other, until I remember crying out, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. I said, Lord, I can't bear it anymore. And yet I had no fear of death. Wouldn't you like, I mean, can, can you imagine? God, stop blessing me, please. I can't take it anymore. Go to town for a while. Bless him a while. I, 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 that's what he's saying. He just couldn't stand any more of God's blessing. How about D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody? You familiar with Dwight Moody, Moody Institute in Chicago? Listen to Moody's words. They sound kind of the same. I was crying all the time that God would fill me with his spirit. Well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I can only say that God revealed himself to me, and I had to ask him to stay his hand. The wonderful love that came to me. The sermons were not different. I didn't present any truths, and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back before that blessed experience if you would give me all the world. It would be as a small dust of the balance. I've briefly mentioned about the Asbury Revival. I was in seminary when it took place. Chapel service was supposed to end in an hour, and it didn't end in an hour. It went 185 straight hours with no preaching. 185 straight hours. People came from all over the place. But I doubted. I was skeptical. You see... When you enroll in seminary, you sign a paper that says you're now religious and you're, you're supposed to be skeptical of religious things. <laughs> I was so skeptical. Those are a bunch of college kids. Just an emotional thing. It'll pass. It didn't pass. My wife and I lived in a little trailer. It wasn't big enough to be called a mobile home. It was 10, it was 10 by 55. I woke up at 4 o'clock one morning, got out of bed and was getting dressed when, you're, when the, your house is only this wide, your wife knows when you're getting up. She said, where are you going? I said, I'm going up to Hughes Auditorium. She said, why? It'll be locked, closed. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. I said, I don't know why, but I got to go. I just got to go there. I got dressed. I drove up to the semicircle. Lights were on in Hughes Park. Walked up all those steps. Pulled on the door, and it was open. I walked in. There must have been four or 500 young people in there praying. Praising God, singing, rejoicing, praying for lost family members, lost friends. I went back home, and I was still not sure. That night, I think somebody mentioned this already, but that night, 6 o'clock, the news comes on at 6. The local ABC affiliate in Lexington, the anchorman had been the anchorman on that station for years and years. He came on and he said something like this. I know that during the news, you're usually not paying the news your full attention. 
So you're probably washing dishes or reading the newspaper. I think I was reading paper, and I think Susan was cooking. He said, I'd like you to put down everything you're doing right now. He said, I've just been on the campus of Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky. I want to tell you what I found and what God's doing to me. And I fell on my face right there in that little trailer. And I said, God, if you can do something for that man, you can do something for me. And God changed my life forever and ever and ever. God put a love in me. All I can tell you, I pastored for 23 years. All I can tell you is that I was was a bold pastor. That's probably not the correct word. Maybe arrogant was better. And I made people mad off and on. I had people that I know wanted to kill me. But since that time, I mean, they still probably wanted to kill me, but after that time, I had, I've never had trouble loving people. I'm not bragging, because that's not my nature. All through the Scripture, it talks about the Holy Spirit changing your nature. It's what He does when you're filled. changes your nature, your sinful nature. Let me give you one more illustration. You guys okay in the back? Praise God. Thank you. I don't know if you've heard of this guy. His name is Wesley. Charles. No, John Wesley. I love John Wesley. I love the Wesley brothers, but John Wesley, he's my hero. Had him on a pedestal for a long time. I've got him off the pedestal, but he preached the gospel for 53 years, called himself a man of one book, and yet he wrote over 200 books in longhand, wrote dictionaries. He was preaching to the coal miners. They were illiterate, and they couldn't understand the words the preachers were preaching. So he put dictionaries together in three different languages. Historians tell us that he crisscrossed England on a horse, preaching along the way 250,000 miles, quarter of a million miles, riding and preaching six or seven times a day sometimes. He'd stop and preach. And it didn't matter if it was raining or snowing, whatever it was, he was out. He was preaching. (laughs) All over England, all over he came into New England, preached over 40,000 sermons. But at 83, John Wesley started to complain. Now, if you were 83 and you're complaining, you got a right to complain, okay? If you complain like he did. Here's how John Wesley complained. He complained that he, can, he, had, a, that he had an increasing tendency to lie in bed until 5.30 a.m., At 86, he was still rising at that time every morning to study his Greek text and to pray. Wow. He complained that he could no longer read and write more than 15 hours a day without his eyes hurting him. We know the story of John Wesley. Came to America to be a missionary. Stormed on the sailing ship storm, broke the mask on the way over. He was scared to death. Group of Moravians, not Mormons, but Moravians were singing praise songs, I guess. They were singing. John Wesley was cowered down, scared to death. Moravians had a great impact upon his life. And then if you're a good Wesleyan, May 24th, 1738 stands out like a neon sign. It's what we call Aldersgate. So when Wesley comes back from England, he's defeated. He says, I came to convert the Indians. Who's going to convert me? As far as we know, not one Indian was converted. Comes back to England, discouraged, defeated, Anglican clergyman, walks down a street called Aldersgate into a Moravian prayer meeting, says he didn't want to go. I've done that before. He didn't want to go to the prayer meeting, but he went. He walked in. He didn't even hear the gospel heard Martin Luther's preface to the book of Romans. We have those wonderful words, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I did trust in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. I have argued with professors and theologians for years about what that means. Most of them will tell me that was the assurance of his salvation. Chris Bounds, who is now the head of the Bible department at Asbury, is a great Wesley scholar. The reason he's so great, he agrees with me on this. We both believe that's when John Wesley was converted. He said, I came to convert the Indians. Who's going to convert me? I did trust in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. So let's say that's his salvation or whatever you want to call it. 
But something happened after that. A great thing happened after that. Now, two, two times in his journal, I can give you the dates if you want them. Two times in his journal, he writes that he is longing for a deeper experience. This is, this is John Wesley, longing for something more than he had. He was defeated. He was discouraged. Something was not right in his life. I want you to read this testimony. I want you to hear this testimony. Monday, January the 1st, 1739. Mr. Hall, Kitchen, Kitchen, Ingram, Whitfield, Hutchins, and my brother Charles were present at our love feast in Fetter Lane with about 60 of our brethren about three in the morning as we were continuing constant in prayer the power of God came so mightily upon us in so much that many fight, cried out for exceeding joy, many fell to the ground. As soon as we were recovered a little from the awe and amazement at the presence of his majesty, we broke out with one voice. We praise thee, O God. We acknowledge thee to be the Lord. I think that's when John Wesley was filled with the Spirit. Check out when he wrote Circumcision of the Heart, the great sermon on the Holy Spirit after that. Check out when the revival broke out that saved all of England. It was after that. I believe that's when he was filled with the Spirit. John Wesley called this doctrine Christian perfection or perfect love. Christian perfection was, people didn't understand it. George Whitfield, who was, we tell was a, was a contemporary of Wesley and probably a better preacher than Wesley, party company with John Wesley over this doctrine for a while because he didn't understand what Wesley meant. What Wesley meant by Christian perfection is that our motives, now stay with me, please stay with me, our motives can be made holy and pure and perfect. Our motives, are you with me? God can change our motives. The best illustration I've ever heard from this, John Church, John Church preached here. Some of you might have remembered John Church preaching here a long time ago. I remember John Church preaching at our camp meeting. Uh, one of the great evangelists of all times in America just you know, the old, the old guys were different than us young guys. Uh, I don't know how they did it. I really don't. You know, all they owned was a three-piece black suit and a big black Bible, usually a black car. Uh, and they were gone forever. They would go out and stay six weeks or more. I don't know how they stayed married. Maybe that's why they stayed married. I don't know. But, but they were gone all the time, just gone. And John Church tells this story. He was getting ready to go out on one of these six-week campaigns or whatever it was, crusades. And he was at his front door, and he was dressed up in his three-piece black suit. His wife was there. His little boy was there. He said, I kissed my little boy. I was getting ready to kiss my wife, he said, and I looked in her face, and it just dawned on me. He said, honey, I am so sorry. And she said, John, what are you sorry about? Don't you remember, I promised you I'd do something for you before I left, and now I'm all dressed. I can't do it. I'll do it when I... John, what are you talking about, she said. <laughs> said, I promised you before I left on this trip, I'd cut those two old ugly spirea bushes down beyond the pines. I'm all dressed. I can't do it. I promise you. I don't care how tired I am from driving. As soon as I get home, I'll take my suit off, put my coveralls on. I'll go out and cut those two old ugly spirea bushes down. She said, okay, John. He leaves. They know exactly what day he's coming back. He said his little boy must have been standing on the couch peeking through the drapes. A dirt road, dusty dirt road. This cloud of dust comes the road. There weren't many cars came down that road. He said his little boy knew it had to be him because when he, when he saw the screen door come flying open, He's not even in the driveway yet. The screen door's flying open, and these two little legs are just, just churning down the road as fast as he can get down the driveway. John said, I got to the front of the driveway. I had to stop. He wouldn't let me in. He just stopped. He said, I got out of, trying to get out of the car, and all of a sudden, these two little arms just grabbed me around my knees, started hugging on me. Daddy, Daddy, I missed you. I missed you too, honey. Let me get out. Daddy, I love you so much. I love you too, honey. Let me get out. And John is trying to get out and work his little boy. Can you picture this? He's trying to work his little boy up. And his little boy, he gets there, he says, Daddy, I love you so much. I missed you, honey. I love you too. And then he said, Daddy, I love you so much. I did something for you. John said, honey, what did you do? He said, Daddy, I knew you'd be tired. So I did it. Honey, what? Daddy, I cut them bushes down for you. John said he looked out in his backyard and his two prized white pines 
that had been growing for years were laying on the ground. John said, I looked at my son's face. I couldn't spank him. I couldn't yell at him. I couldn't reprimand him in any way. All I could do was gather him close to me and say, honey, thank you for loving me so much. Do you understand pure love? Was that pure love? You better believe it was. It was a heart full of pure love. Did he make a mistake? Yeah, he did. Just because your heart is pure doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. But the motive was pure and holy. Let me, I'm, I'm getting close to finish, I promise you. I, I know it's long tonight, but this is so important, folks. Uh, I've got... I want to give you an illustration and, and uh, tell you a story. Illustration is what I call my Coke bottle illustration. This is such a great illustration. I've been using it for so long that I've convinced myself I made it up. Somebody one day is going to tell me where I got it, I guess, but so far all these years nobody's told me. But it's a, it's a powerful illustration, even though it's very simple, but you got to pay attention. you got to watch me. In my hands, I have an empty Coca-Cola bottle. You remember the old Coca-Cola bottles, you know, the shape they were and all? I have an empty Coca-Cola bottle. Can you see it? You all see it in the back? Okay. But in the middle of it, there's a petition. Card, piece of cardboard, we'll say cut the exact same dimensions as that bottle so that if you were to pour something on top, it wouldn't go to the bottom because of the petition. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, I'll start all over. Are you with me? Okay. And you take some gas, not gasoline, but gas, some kind of gas. You put the gas in the top of the bottle and you put a cork on it. So now you have gas in the top, but no gas in the bottom because there's a petition there, right? You put the bottle on a shelf in the kitchen. The kids come running through the house, they're fighting back and forth, and one of them bounces off the wall, the shelf vibrates, the bottle falls off, it doesn't break, but as the bottle rolls across the floor, that petition moves just a little bit, just a tiny bit. But it moves enough to allow the gas that's in the top to now completely fill the entire bottle. You got it? Now listen to me carefully. Here's the theology of everything I'm preaching tonight. My friends of other persuasions are biblically wrong. I'm sorry, they just are. Don't turn me off till I get through this. They're biblically wrong when they say, I got the Holy Spirit on this day. I mean, I got saved on this day, and I got the Holy Spirit on this day. No, they didn't. You see, we're all Trinitarians. Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterians, Pentecostals, Roman Catholics. We're all Trinitarians. We believe God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. You can't get part of the Trinity. That's heresy. So when you get saved, the Spirit also is there. But the problem is, is that in 99% of the cases that I know about, certainly Moody and Finney and Wesley, even though you get the Spirit, the Spirit doesn't get all of you. That's the reason we have double-minded. That's the reason you're going up and down and back and forward. The Spirit's there, but the Spirit doesn't. It's like the Spirit in the top of the bottle, but not the whole bottle. All the gas that's going to be in the top of the bottle is in the bottom special. It's all there. But you have to move the petition. That's what we're talking about tonight. That's what we're talking about tonight. It's coming to a place in our Christian life where we say, okay, God, I've had enough. I've had enough trying to live a double life. I've had enough going halfway. I want to go all the way. I want everything. I want your spirit to control everything, my mind, my body, everything. I want you to have it all. You come to that place, and you say, I want it all. How does that happen? How did you get saved? Scripture says you're saved by faith, lest any man should boast. How do you feel with the spirit? By faith, same way. Not by feeling, but by faith. You say, I want it all. Let me close with this story. One of my professors in seminary, Dr. Kenneth Kinghorn, wrote a marvelous books. In one of his books, one of his books on the Holy Spirit, he tells the story about a, a couple that lived in Appalachia. Appalachia. Did I say it right? 
Appalachia, excuse me, lived in Appalachia. He said, these folks live so far back in a holler. I, I said, what's a holler? You know what? Y'all know about hollers. Y'all try to tell this story in Florida. It just don't go. Somebody told me the other day, Joe, that a holler is when the sun comes up at 11 o'clock in the morning, goes to bed at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. These folks are so far back in a holler, you had to pump oxygen into them, he said. I mean, they were way back in a Had no electricity, nothing like that or anything, water or anything like that. And he said, one day a rumor came through the holler that they were going to get electricity. They were going to get power. They checked out the rumor. It was true. It was going to happen. They got so excited. They went out in the backyard and started digging. You know what they were digging? They were digging their money up. They had money buried in mason jars and coffee cans. They didn't trust banks, so they had it all buried. And they had a lot of money. When you don't have to pay power bills, you got a lot of money, I guess. So they had all this money, and they go into town, and they hired an electrician. That cost a pretty good. So he came out, and he wired the house, got it all wired, ready to go. Then they went back into town with the money they had left, and they spent every penny they had. Can you imagine if you'd never had electricity, what you could buy? You know, a washing machine, a dryer, toaster, an oven. You know, they didn't need an air conditioner. It was always cool in the holler. But, but they, you know, bought lights and they just, fans. I mean, they just bought everything, spent every penny. Had it all delivered, taken out of the box, read the instructions, set it all up. Then they went and sat on their front porch. On the front porch, they had two rocking chairs. So the couple sat on the front porch and they waited. You could see down the holler, there was a little road that just went forever. I mean, way down there. And they could see all the way down. And they rocked and waited the first day, nothing happened. The second day, nothing happened. But that third day, they saw something. Way down the holler, they saw these two little dots. So far down, they couldn't tell what they were. But they stayed in one place, and all of a sudden, they get a little closer, stayed for a while, get a little closer, stayed... Finally, they recognized what it was. It was the power company trucks, these orange trucks. And one of them had this great big drill bit, auger drill bit, and it drilled a hole in the ground. And then they had this, this pole, and they put a pole in the ground. And then one truck had a big cable, a roll of wire, and they'd run the wire. And they'd drill a hole, put a pole, run a wire, drill a hole, put a pole. The closer they got to the house, the more excited this couple got. They were ecstatic. They were so excited. But a sad thing happened about a quarter mile from the house where it was just right there almost. They did what they'd been doing. They drilled a hole and put a pole. But this time they took a steel cable, tied it to the top, took it down to the ground, put an anchor in the ground. The trucks turned around and they left and they never came back. Now what makes the story so sad is the house was totally, completely prepared to receive the power and they never got it. Wherever I preach all across the United States, these guys do the same thing. Saddest thing I see is folks with no power. Acts 1 says the power is given to those who believe. And you call it whatever you want to call it. But there needs to come a time when everything is totally, completely surrendered. You have two parts. Your part is the surrender. It's kind of like a, I told you I like the weather station. A um, couple of us disagreed on the weather for tomorrow, so my forecaster says it's going to be real bad, so y'all just get ready. The other said it wasn't going to be that bad. We'll find it. Anyway, but you look at a weather map, and they're high pressure, low pressures. Weather always moves from a high pressure to a low pressure. The low pressure sucks the weather in, okay? And so what your, your surrender is, is that you give, you, you take what's in your heart and you surrender it all, your past, your present, your future, every, you just give it your problems, you surrender it all, you create that pressure, and then you say, God, fill me with your spirit. And by faith, God will fill you with the spirit that's in you and then increase. Now, it doesn't mean you're really mature then, but I'm telling you, you live on a different level from that point on than you've ever lived before. But you have to, it's, it's like we talked about this what John's telling me about the thing, it, it's a progressive. It grows. But there has to be a starting point, and then it grows, and it grows, and it grows until you get to heaven. Until you get to heaven. Scripture's very plain. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so to not be filled with the Holy Spirit is to live outside the will of God. I don't know if I've explained it well tonight or not. Somebody said, do you understand what you're talking about? Probably not. I don't understand a whole lot of things. 
I just know what God did in my life. I know the difference he made in my life. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that, thank you that you're present with us now, Spirit, Holy Spirit. And it, it's, it's your desire. You've already told us that. It's your desire for every one of us that are believers. That's, you've got to be a believer. But once you're a believer, it's your desire to be filled with the Spirit and to be victorious, not to struggle in life forever. Lord, I believe there are people here tonight who are saying, I knew there was more. Some of you have heard this preached from this pulpit year after year after year after year. And maybe it hasn't made sense to you. Maybe it just didn't quite catch on. And maybe something's clicking tonight. Maybe something's clicking tonight and say, yeah, that makes a little more sense. I understand that. And so, Lord, we're asking that if it does make sense to us and, and we understand Scripture to be what it is and we want to be obedient to Scripture, that, Lord, we'll just, we'll come. Not by feeling, but by faith. People say, what's going to happen if nothing happens? <laughs> Don't worry about that. That's God's situation, not yours. Let's just, let's just be obedient. Let's, let's be obedient to God and say, I want to be filled. And then there's some of you tonight say, I was filled four or five years ago, but man, it's kind of leaked out. <laughs> and sometimes it has a tendency to leak out. And maybe you need to be refilled. Whatever it is you need tonight, we're going to invite you to come. And Lord, I pray that you would do your work tonight as I know you want to in every person's life. We'll thank you for it. We'll trust you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now listen, please, folks. Here's the invitation tonight. You know the invitation. It's to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's what we're going to ask you to do. We're going to do it differently tonight. If you come and kneel here or stand here, if you can't kneel, uh, I want somebody to pray with you tonight. Hadn't been that way the rest, first part of the week, but... This is important. We're going to do exactly what they did in the book of Acts. You lay hands on, pray that you be filled with the Spirit. I'm going to ask you, and I'll ask these other preachers to do the same thing, one question. We're assuming you're coming to be filled with the Spirit. If you're not, tell us that right away. If you've got something else, that's fine. But if you're coming to be filled with the Spirit, I'm going to ask you one question. Is everything that you know about surrendered to God? Everything you know about. There's some things you may not know about, but if there's things you know and if you say yes, then we're just going to lay hands on. We pray that you be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you can stay and pray here as long as you want to. If you say no, not everything is surrendered, and that happens every time I preach on this. If you say not everything is surrendered. You know, some of you, you've been trying to surrender stuff forever, and you can't do it. So God's taught me a way basically by saying, I want you to visualize in your heart that the things you haven't surrendered is right there. And then I want you to visualize, that's what faith is, visualize that your heart, we're just going to ask God to open up your heart. And if you're willing for God to take it from you, he will. But you've got to be willing for him to take. And then I'll just pray, God, reach in, spirit, reach in, and just pull out the stuff that hadn't been surrendered. And then we'll pray that you be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask you to stand, please. This tab leads us. You know, I was preaching this in Florida not long ago, and the first four people that came were preachers. And they didn't even let me finish with my closing story. This is needed. It's needed for every believer. Invite you to come. We'll pray with you as you come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come right away. Quickly, quickly, folks. Come, sweet Spirit. strength and your power come in your own gentle way come as a wisdom to children come as a sight to the blind strength to my weakness. Take me so by 
you but there's just God is speaking to a few more people I don't know who you are I just sense that you're struggling you're fighting and God is saying step out it's time to do it you know I said the other night the thing that scares me about camp meetings and revivals is that 
There's so much prayer going on for this camp meeting. It'll be a long time before you have that much prayer again. <laughs> uh, you won't hear as God probably as close as you do during camp meeting because there's so much prayer. I just urge you not to miss the opportunity. So we're just going to sing just a couple more verses of something, and, and then we'll close. But uh, I want to invite you to come. Just maybe you need a little more urging, and I urge you. The Spirit of God wants to meet you here. I invite you to come. Living God, fall afresh on me, O oh, Spirit, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me, O oh, I will follow where he leads me. I will follow where he leads me. I will follow where he leads me. I will follow. I'll go. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strange again. And the things of earth will grow strange. In the light of His glory and grace. So one more time. Just turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face the things and the things of earth will grow strangely dead in the light of his glory and grace I'll live for him who died for me I'll live for him who died for me how happy then my life shall be. I'll live for him who died for me, my Savior and my God. Oh, let's sing that one more time. I'll live for him who died for me. How happy then my life shall be. I live for him who died for me, my Savior and my God—something beautiful, something good. Oh my! He understood All I had to offer Him Was brokenness and 
alive and well here tonight and God is doing some wonderful powerful things I want to share with you just some advice and uh, there's still some of you that are hanging on <laughs> that's okay uh, God's not gonna let go if you want to come down here later I'm gonna hang around here for a while and if when you visit, don't visit down here. Let's just leave this as a sacred place tonight. Somebody, when people are going that way, you still can come this way. But let me share this with you. Whenever something like this takes place in a person's life, whenever there's a major decision, I found this out over a long time, uh, is that within 24 to 48 hours, not everybody, but a lot of people are gonna come to a fork in the road. It could be tonight, it could be tomorrow, it could be when you get home. And I'm not sure if it's a testing of God or a temptation of Satan. I kind of think it's more of a test of God. And if it was Satan, God's more powerful anyway. But you'll come to a point in your life where you'll say, wow, did that really happen? Or something else. And you just need to know that when you come to that first time to make a decision. You need to be aware of it so you go the way God wants you to go because that's so important, so important. Also, I would invite you tonight, when you get back to your room or wherever you are, you can do it here, write down in the front of your Bible. You know, they give you two extra pages that are blank. They're free. Write down what you think happened. You know, I'm a very visual person. I have to see things. I'm not a philosophical person. And so, if I have that written down and, and I get something Satan says, nothing really happened a week later, a month later, a year later, nothing really happened to you. Yes, it did. I wrote it down right there. You go back to that. You may not, you know, just explain it the best way you can. Just write it in your Bible. It will help you, I promise. I, we're gonna, I'm going to have a closing prayer. These folks can stay. If you want to come and pray, you come. We're just going to have just a good time tonight. Thank you for your patience with me tonight. Let's pray together. Father God, I just thank you for the way you have worked tonight. This is a special night. This is a night where lives have changed for all eternity. I pray that tomorrow that you would, would help us to envision that it's still there. <laughs> Nothing's different except you're in charge of my life now. I have surrendered all, and, 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 and I know I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm going to grow too. I'm going to grow faster than I've ever grown before because your spirit is totally in charge now. We come against the evil one from having anything to do with us. We can do that because we have the power of the living God within us now. And so, Father, I thank you for that. Bless us as we go back to what we're going to do. Some of us just need to go be alone tonight, maybe. Even some of the young people, you need to get alone tonight. When everybody else is going and having a good time, maybe just for a little while at least, you just get alone and just thank God. Just thank Him for what He's doing in your life. Father, we just praise You. We give You all the glory. This has not happened by anything that I've said. or any, This is what, what You're doing. 
tonight. This is your work. We prayed that you would be here. We know you are. And you have worked miracles tonight, and we thank you for it. Now bless us as we go from this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You come if you still would like to come. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I know that it's the spirit of the